We have a good, good father. Are you ready? That's what the title of the message is today. You ever had uh, visitors drop in on you unexpectedly? Weren't expecting them at all? Well, perhaps you might have had uh, dirty dishes in the kitchen and maybe a laundry just kind of strung out all over the place. Or if you do ironing, does anybody iron anymore? Ironing board? <laughs> it's in the middle of the living room. And you got all sorts of stuff. If it were being me, it would probably be different shoes, pairs of shoes, in, uh, in all the rooms. <laughs> Notice that this morning I decided, ooh, I need to get all these out of here. All my tennis shoes that I uh, change for different uh, weather out there, mud and rain and whatever else, dirt. Anyway, when we know that visitors are coming, it uh, causes us to kind of straighten up our uh, house and uh, our minds, our thinking. We get a state of readiness, you know. We really start hurrying if it's uh, just a few minutes and get things ready. Um, Jesus, in this context that we're at today, actually was emphasizing the fact that uh, there's a visitor that is going to be coming for all of us. That visitor being Him. is coming back to visit us. And He wants to make sure that we are sure of making our lives ready. A life of readiness. Uh, last week we talked about do not be anxious, do not worry, do not fear. That kind of thought. But that doesn't give an excuse of not, uh, I guess you could say, or uh, let's say ignoring tomorrow. It doesn't give us that excuse to ignore tomorrow, even though it's talking about don't worry what is tomorrow. At the same time, our future is at the uppermost of our thinking. What happens in the time that is to come should be our very motive for living in the times that we live in right now. We should uh, think often about His coming, the very visit that Christ will have. And we should view ourselves as being stewards right here on earth and we're responsible for what the Lord has given us here. To be able to use them correctly, such as things like time, to use these bodies in the time and space that we have, and money, and abilities. And he's kind of been talking about that all uh, the way through this chapter 12, that kind of thought, being a good steward. And we're to use it for the Master's kingdom right, right now and then the kingdom to come. Our Lord is going to return, and we want to give an account to Him, an account that would be honorable, so after telling the disciples to seek ye first the kingdom of God, now he says as you have sought it and as you continue to seek it, be ready for his return for that kingdom that is to come. He will judge everyone. So there's really two sections 
in our text today. It's broken up just in two points here. The first one being um, in verse 35 through 40 in chapter 12. It's readiness for His coming. Second part from 42 through 48 is that when the Lord comes, He will be judging everyone according to what He has given them, according to what they have done. And so the judge will be here. Let's stand and uh, let's read that text. These are the very words of Christ. How blessed it is to be able to read this today. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third, finds them so blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have already uh, not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Peter then said, Lord, are you addressing the parable to us or to everyone else as well? The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give him their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Father, what a sober passage You've given to us. But it's a beautiful passage for those who trust in You and wait for You and watch and be on alert. It's a blessing to be able to serve You knowing that You'll come back and You'll reward us. But we also know You are going to judge the ones who have not placed their trust in You. So as we see that today, may we be taking it seriously of how precious you are and your return. In Jesus' name, amen.
Roll my sleeves up. Be ready. That's probably a good example. I just might use that in a moment. I hadn't even thought about that. That's right. Well, we have two parts. This first one's dealing with servants who are ready for the master. Are you ready? Well, Jesus uses four word pictures here. Four pictures, illustrations, images to help us get a handle on what He is focusing on here. First one is be dressed in readiness. That's the very first picture. Then He's going to be talking about lamps. Then He's going to be talking about servants. And then He will be talking about a thief in the night. All of these are just basically giving us different angles at what he is approaching in his sermon here, his teaching. So he says, uh, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be dressed in readiness. Um, I want to take this tie off because it's inhibiting me. And I'm going to get ready to try to speak maybe a little bit easier. Jesus here is saying, gird up your loins. Now, some of you may have be dressed in readiness. That's what I have. Other versions say, gird up your loins. And and I know some of you are saying, what is that? Uh, It's literally, let your loins be girded. And in that day, everyone wore these long flowing robes. And that was the traditional wear. That's what they wore every day. But if you were getting ready to work, you are getting ready to do something, then it would be a hindrance to move quickly or freely. I take my tie off and get myself ready and start rolling up my sleeves, right? This would be, uh, in a sense, spiritually, I guess, uh, or uh, in a physical sense, girding up the loins. I don't wear any robes. Now, there are some denominations where the uh, preacher, pastor, bishop, or what have you, would be uh, wearing a long flowing robe. I guess it's just illustrating what they wore back then. I'm not so sure why they have those. But anyway, you take that robe and put it into a sash and tie it around the waist so that it would not interfere with your movement. You can imagine somebody that is uh, maybe uh, on a maybe a track to run a race and he had that robe. Well, that's not going to work too good when he starts running, is it? Or he goes to work, whatever... Uh, It's saying simply this. Be in a state of perpetual readiness. Constantly being ready. Are you ready for the Lord right now? Are you ready tomorrow for the Lord? At any time, right? That means always being ready, alert, watchful. The Old Testament presents that same kind of, uh, not only attitude, but it's an action, even more so. Uh, When you think of the Passover... 
think of the first time that it was given, as far as instructions were, to celebrate that Passover in Egypt, the Israelites were told to do certain things. You go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. He tells them about the unleavened bread and how they're supposed to get ready to partake of this. And then he says in 11, Now you shall eat it in this manner. With your loins girded, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. What he's saying is that you'd be ready because you could be moving out at any time. The Passover. They'd done all of the plagues and they came to the tenth plague. It deals with all the firstborn are going to be taken unless you put the blood on the lintel post. And then celebrate this. Uh, it was a lamb for each household. They were to partake of this lamb Eat the unleavened bread. The unleavened, meaning you don't have time for it to rise. Come up unleavened. And so they've celebrated that every year since then. But at that time, they were to have their loins girded or to be ready to be prepared. For the Lord was going to be moving them out. They didn't know when for sure, but it was going to be very soon. Be ready. So that was the idea back then. Um, in First Kings chapter 18, I'm not going to go through all of the different times that we see this phrase, but uh, it's kind of interesting to see. First uh, Kings 18, verse 46. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now, that is getting it ready. He's going to run miles and miles. That was a long run. So he got himself prepared where he could actually do the work or the running here. And that's the idea. Let's do one other New Testament one. It's found in First Peter. Chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep soul and spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revealing, the unveiling of Christ. What is that? The second coming. What is he saying? First of all, prepare your minds or, conversion might say, gird up the loins of your mind. That's the thought. Have your mind ready and be ready for action, not just having the attitude. Keep sober, fix your hope, complete on the grace. That's that blessed hope that Paul says in Titus. The blessed hope of the second coming of Christ. If He's not coming back, if we don't have that kind of hope, we're in trouble, aren't we? Matter of fact, look at Titus chapter 2. I like this verse. 
talks about in verse 13. Verse 12, he says, Live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age. Right now. This is what you do. What's your motive? Verse 13, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So that's the revealing of Christ. That's the second coming there. It's His glory. And isn't that blessed? I mean, this is a very fundamental part of our faith. Christ will return. We'll meet Him. The appearing of His glory. But He says to, again, looking right now for that hope. Right now. So there's our first illustration. It is about being clothed in readiness or righteousness. I'll put on my clothes of righteousness. <clears throat> Live righteous lives. The second one is dealing with lamps. As we go to Luke uh, 12, same verse, 35. Be dressed in readiness. Here's your second one. And keep your lamps lit. So you have clothes. Now he uses like the lamp. Keep your lamps alight. Well, back in those days, no electricity. No electricity. You have no lights outside. You have no porch light. You have no street lights. You have no city lights out and about. It was just dark. If you didn't have the moon out, it would be really dark. So, if you're expecting a midnight visitor, what would you do? You would make sure you would have the light on where you could see of getting to the door and maybe he would be able to see that there's some light inside that's your house. He knocks on the door and you don't see him if you don't have a light on, right? If you actually can get to the door. Be ready for the Master's coming. Have your light on. Uh, Matthew 25, it talks about the uh, ten virgins. Five of them were ready. Five were not. Five of them had the oil for their lamps. The other five, not only had, well, they had their lamps, but they didn't have the oil. And so they asked the other five to say, Oh, we forgot our oil. Could you give us some oil? And they say, We don't have enough for you and me. Five were ready and five were not. And so Jesus gave that parable, that thought there. Um, it was about being ready because the bridegroom was going to be coming. Being ready because there is there's a wedding. And if you are the bride, you want to make sure that you're ready. Do you know when the bridegroom is going to come back at that time? No. You don't know your wedding day. Nobody knows. Only the Father. Jesus said that. Only the Father knows. When are you going to come back? Only the Father knows. Well, Jesus went there to build us a house, mansion, a place of dwelling with the Lord, however that may be. And the customs of their time, you might have a young man propose to... Uh, a young lady, and he would scoop the glass 
through the fine over to her, and that would mean proposing to you, I want to marry you. If she drank it, she she was saying yes. If she pushed pushed it aside, what does that mean? No. Uh oh. <laughs> but if she drinks it, she's going to marry him. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. If he goes and prepares a place, the father is inspecting this place, and it's not going to be some little shack. You know, something that he puts up with cardboard or they have cardboard back there. <laughs> but the father is going to say, okay, uh, need a little more work on it. Finally, he says, okay, it's ready. He goes to get his bride. She doesn't know when. The one who went there, the bridegroom, doesn't know when. Only the father knows. Now do you see that that's why Jesus said that? He's the bridegroom. Someday he'll be coming back. I think he really knows since he is gone. But at the same time, in his sense of being the son of man, he didn't know. And he can be that way. It's part of his nature. Well, I'll tell you what. It's exciting here. Just have the light on. If you are the bride, have the light on. Be ready. No spiritual darkness here. He's coming back. He's going to get you. He's going to take him, take you with him. Now, so we have two pictures here in the 35th verse. Moving on. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. Be ready. So there's a third picture. This is a wedding feast. And we've already kind of talked about that. About having the lights. And we use the Matthew 25 about the oil and the lamps there. Same kind of thought. But he goes uh, and colors this up a little bit for us to be able to see. This is real, real familiar to the Jewish people. And I've given you a little bit of the culture of their weddings. Um, Sometimes they would tell people in their invitations, hey, it's going to be a wedding. Oh, when? Well, we don't know. But I'm giving you an invitation now. Well, where's it going to be? Well, they might have an idea where it might be. But when, they don't know. But let's say, I think it's going to probably be in the month of June. Now, they have another name for June. Months are a little bit differently. But the thing is, is that this special, special wedding that they have was special to everybody in the community and surrounding communities, maybe. Uh, especially in the family. People would be invited to come, not knowing when, but whenever that bridegroom showed up, the bride who is ready then goes with him to get married, and it has gone out into the villages and, and where, however far it spread out as far as the families are concerned, and they were said, it's now. The wedding is getting ready to take place. The wedding can take one day, two days, five days, some up to seven days, 
maybe even more. It was a big deal. A big feast. It depended on how wealthy you were, how many people came, and how much food there was available to keep people being fed. Uh, They weren't sure exactly when all this stuff would be accumulated, and that's why nobody knew. Can you imagine not knowing when the wedding is going to be? So this master says here, according to our text, be like the man or men or women who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. Be like them. You know what? They get it. Those people go, oh, yeah. We don't know when he's coming. The master says, hey, says to the servant, he's going to be leaving the house. He says, there's a wedding I'm going to be going to. Oh, okay, I get it. You don't know what you're going to return. That's right. I don't know when I'm going to be back, but I'll tell you this. It'll be late. And not just probably 9 o'clock. It'll be late in the evening, probably. And we'll get that in a, in a moment here. But this imagery is beautiful to them. They, they understand this uh, very, very well. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the Jewish wedding feast. And um, what this master says is, Hey, I'm fine with you. You're good. I trust you that you'll put everything in order, you'll keep it in order, and you're in charge till I get back. Now, it could be days. It could be that very evening. How long is it going to go? Well, Jesus has always placed a premium on service, hasn't He? He is the Master and He has servants. He honors faithfulness when people serve Him. He honors that faithfulness that they have. Now, what is really strange here, it is not common for the Master to serve the servant. I mean, that doesn't sound right. It's backwards, isn't it? Read this. Check this out. See if it sounds like this is what he's talking about here. Um... Verse 37. Blessed are those slaves whom the Master will find on the alert when He comes. Truly I say to you. Check this out, He says. I'm not kidding. That He will gird Himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Did did you guys catch that? What's happening here? The the uh, actually the owner the, of all the possessions, the master, is saying, "I'm going to serve the servant when I get back." This is amazing. I have to take a second look at that. I go what? Uh, this imagery is showing the blessing of being totally accepted by Jesus. Isn't that good? 
Isn't that really good that for His, He always accepts us. You can imagine His arms. He takes us in. This reminds me of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Did you know that He prepares a feast for all of us believers and He will have us sit down, eat, as He serves us. We're the servants. He's the Master. And yet, He's serving us. That is an incredible thought there. I think it's kind of over the top that He would serve us. It's amazing. You know, it also says in the Scripture, we've said it many times, He will sing over us. What a loving God. What grace it is. He finds us faithful. He serves us. He takes the place of a servant. The Master waits on the servant. Jesus, on the very night of the Last Supper, night before He's crucified, you remember what He did? He girded Himself up, kneeled down and washed the disciples' feet. Amazing. Peter just couldn't handle it. This is not right at all. But he took the role of a servant washing feet. I think that's a great picture of ultimately what he did. Taking our place on the cross. What a servant. He came to serve. That is amazing. He washed away our sins. Look in Luke 22, verse 27. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table, or the one who serves? Now, how would you answer that? Well, it's not the one who reclines at the table. It'd be greater, the one who's not reclining. Uh... But I am among you as the one who serves. The greater is the one you would think would be the master or the one who is there waiting to be served. But I am among you as the one who serves. The master serves. Wow. That is truly amazing. So we go back into verse 37. He will gird Himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Here you go. This is interesting. Whether He comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. As He comes back, they're waiting for them, for him, and they're blessed because they were faithful with what he had told them to do, those slaves. Now, what's interesting is the second or the third watch. 
Now, it really doesn't matter whether it's referring to the Roman watches as far as the you know military watch, the, the guard that they would have. It doesn't matter as far as the time. It really comes out about the same, Jewish or Roman. Those watches would be divided up. We're talking between 9 and 3 in the morning. We're really talking real late to where it's actually early as far as we're concerned, as far as morning is concerned. Uh, We're talking about a very inconvenient time when people would normally be asleep. If you're ready in the most unexpected time, even if you're ready at that time, he could come in the third watch of the night. Or even later, <laughs> what he's saying is it will be very. It could be very a dark time, a time that you wouldn't be thinking that he'd be coming. When he comes back, he's going to light up everything. He's going to light it up, isn't he? Light up the sky. There's a Christian group that sings a song. That, who is that? Light up the sky. It's probably going back into the 80s. <laughs> well, you know what? Second, third watch, fourth watch, fifth watch, sixth watch, it doesn't matter. He is going to come back when people would least expect him to be there. But he says, be alert, be watchful, be ready. Now, we have really emphasized this. It's like, okay, I get it. I already know that. I believe it. But isn't it interesting as Jesus just kept giving us different angles of how to look at this. They're all saying the same thing. So we go to the fourth one. This is kind of odd. Verse 39. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So he goes into the fourth one. This is the fourth picture. The thief. The thief. Is Jesus a thief? Is he coming here to steal? To take something from people? Well, he uses this picture because it's a thief breaking into a house in the middle of the night, totally unannounced. Thieves don't easily call you up and tell you, hey, I'm coming over, I'm going to steal some things. Right? They don't do that. The way that they operate is their stock and trade is what? Surprise. They want to surprise attack to get that whatever they're wanting. He says, but if you are really watching and waiting that a thief would be coming, then you're not going to be surprised. Uh, A thief is not very successful when people expect his coming, right? They're not going to do too good. Especially if a guy has a gun ready and he's sitting there waiting and boom, you know, the guy walks in the door, right? Uh, But in this sense, it's a thief. A thief is going to come when we would never expect it. Uh, Jesus is not going to take something 
but it's the element of a surprise. That's the metaphor. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, speaking of the second coming. And uh, chapter 5, dealing with the day of the Lord, verse 2, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Be unexpected. People are going to be saying, Peace, safety. He's not coming back. He hasn't come back ever before. Why should I expect Him now? As Peter makes mention of in Second Peter. Here he's saying, the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. Night. Totally unexpected. That is his thought. Second uh, Peter, I was mentioning chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. The seriousness of the return of the Lord. Revelation 3.3 Really, you get this thought throughout all of the New Testament so often. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know it. What hour I will come to you. Same thing we've been saying all along. How do we get ready? We'll look in Luke 21.34. How are we ready? Luke 21.34 Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Not being weighted down with all the lures and traps of life. It will not be a sudden thing to you and a surprise. Right? That's the thought there. In our Luke, Second Peter three fourteen, we were just there a moment ago, and fourteenth verse. Yeah, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, for His coming back, be diligent to be found by Him in peace. No worries, spotless and blameless, being righteous in Christ. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just also, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Anyway, be steadfast. That's how we are to be ready. Living it in the way that would honor him. Now, that's number one. We'll get to number two now. It's, like I say, it's divided up real easy today, isn't it? Sometimes we have three points. Sometimes we have ten points. We have two here. This is about reward and punishment. We've already seen about being ready. 
Why should we be ready? Well, he's saying, well, there's a reward coming for all those who are ready. And for those who are not ready, there's punishment coming. Pretty simple, isn't it? Basic theology, theology one, right? Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? Pretty legitimate question. You have the 12 apostles. And if you remember in chapter 12, there was quite a crowd. Matter of fact, I think they were, in verse 1, it says they were stepping on one another. This huge crowd. Thousands. It says many thousands of people. And that verse, and they are just crowding around. So he starts preaching on the leaven of the Pharisees and the hypocrisy, and he told them about the rich fool, and tonight your soul will be demanded. Then we talked about the, the kingdom that it is to be sought out. Don't worry, don't be anxious, just trust him. He's going to take care of you, he always has. Now he talks about this the steward who has been obedient, he's been faithful. Well, what's the result of that? And so Peter's been hearing this parable and the pictures that are <clears throat> been illustrated catches a really good uh, question. I think all of us would be thinking, okay, you're saying this, Derek, who's supposed to be really ready here? I mean, what, are you trying to emphasize this to us? Because he began teaching, even though there were thousands of people there, he began teaching the disciples early on there in the uh, 12th chapter. Remember that, right? He just kind of spoke to that little group of not only the 12 apostles, but uh, all the learners, people who were really there. And then you can extend it on out to the Thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of people now. And that's why Peter would ask that. And Jesus gives an indirect answer. He just doesn't come up, well, Peter, this is for you guys. Or this is for all the crowd. He comes up with another parable. Matter of fact, Jesus gets asked questions and what does he do? A lot of times he comes right back with a question. Not a bad approach. He's indirect here. But I think it's especially to the apostles. But I think it's especially to us as disciples. They had disciples and learners then. I think it's for everyone when it really comes down to it. Um, actually, by the time you get to the end of this, we'll see that it is involving everyone. It's, uh, there are four categories of servants here. So as we go on down through here, I think we'll see those. You know, you know the uh, the one parable that has the four soils. One of them is about the believer. The rest of them are the unbelievers. Here is something that's very parallel to that, as he talks about rewards, and punishment. So he says. 
Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward? So he asked a question as he uses this parable here. Peter said, Who's this for? And Jesus says, And who then is the faithful and sensible steward? whom his master will put in charge of his servants. Remember, the master is going to go away away to a trip about a wedding, as in this text. Master is going to go away. All those servants who do what they are to do, this is what's going to happen. He will put them in charge of other servants to give them their rations at the proper time to take care of the ones that are there. He says in 43, Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. He's blessed. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. This steward is going to be responsible for everything that the master has given him to take care of. That's quite a responsibility, isn't it? What a privilege though. So the word is faithful. The word is pistis. It's a verb meaning the believing. The first slave is faithful. She does the right thing. Master goes on a long trip. The servant does what he's supposed to do. He goes to a distant city. Let's say if he goes all the way to Rome. He goes a long way away. So now that steward has quite the responsibility of carrying on the work that needs to be done. And that's what our Lord has done. He has taken a long trip to heaven. Has it come back in the literal flesh? He lives in us. We're responsible for this temple, this body that He's given us. And all the abilities that He's given us, our possessions, our money, our time. And He says, now I want you to do with it with what I've, I tell you to do. And we be faithful, right? So as He's absent, we wait. Uh, wait sometimes is an attitude. It's a good attitude, being able to wait. Being patient. It's hard to be patient sometimes, isn't it? But it's much more than an attitude. It starts with that, but it's action. So being ready, girding up the loins is really an action. It's, it's a life lived prospectively observing the fact that He's going to come back and it's constantly serving God while we are here. The Lord blesses those who live faithful in that way as they return. He says here, the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward? We looked at the faithful steward. The sensible steward is one who, well the word there is phronimos, and phronimos, uh, dealing with the mind, thinking, the brain, that's the idea. It's thinking, it's being discreet, it's being wise. The sensible Steward, He understands how urgent it is to do the work of Christ here on earth. He understands the matter. He's sensible. 
He's wise. He does exactly what the Master says to do. And you know what? The word there is that He's blessed. It says in verse 43, Blessed is that slave whom His Master finds so doing. So in verse uh, 43, we get blessed. Back up to verse 38. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too. Okay, wait, wait, wait. i got to back up. Verse 30. Whether it comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so blessed are those slaves. So I'm backing up. Verse 43, blessed. Verse 38, blessed. That's two, right? There's something to this. Go back one more verse in 37. Blessed are those slaves whom the Master will find on the alert when He comes. These are the believers. They're blessed. So in verse 43, verse 38, verse 37, triple blessing. When Jesus uses that word blessed, I think there's something to take note of, isn't it? It means we're blessed. Or you could take the term that we use today, happy. Happy are those. Blessed are those. Blessed by the Lord. Blessed three times. And then he says, verse 44, Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. The Lord gives us what we need to do to operate here now. And ultimately there will be the reward or the crown of righteousness. If we serve him and we do it faithfully, There's three blessings. Triple blessing. Truly be blessed. John MacArthur says, you reign with Christ as a co-regent. A joint heir. Says that um, we will be on the throne. We'll be on the throne of the Father. We who are raptured in the church come back with the Lord when He sets up His kingdom and reigns with Him there throughout eternity. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about ruling and reigning, even judging angels. I don't even know what that means. What a responsible position that we will be put into. Some will have hundredfold, some fiftyfold, some thirtyfold. They'll all be blessed, but as we serve Him here, it will be judged correctly and accurately and perfectly what we will be doing in the kingdom. We will not just be sitting around in the clouds playing what? Harps. Harps. And if that be so, that's not a bad deal. You know, a heavenly harp playing every note perfect. Those things really produce a good sound, but it's much more than that. We will enjoy it like we have never enjoyed the best things even here. It will be incredible. And that's the thought here. Of it. And it's based upon there are degrees of rewards it says if you're really running the race here and you're faithful all the way through, of course that doesn't mean that we're not going to have stumbling and such, but 
we're there and we're doing it just as He could come back at any time. I want Him to find me faithful. I'm going to give you more is what He is thinking here. That's what He's saying. Eternity is going to be for believers and He's going to heap blessing upon blessing to us. And it just opens up everything. Everything, all His possessions. Co-eternal, God is. And He's turning with, uh, actually giving us this blessing and we're not eternal people. But from here on out, we will be eternal. We will never die. And the blessings just keep getting heaped on. Quite the thought there. Now, we get to the other ones. We said there's like four different categories here. There's the first category, and he's been talking about that faithful servant, the steward, the slave, whatever, all the way up to this point, if they're faithful. Now he goes into the unfaithful. And he uses the word but, in verse 45, but if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, is you know, at least the third, fourth watch, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. I don't think there's any doubt of what this man is. He's an unbeliever. The only thing is, he could be one who is a preacher or a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Could be very religious. Who is this guy? Well, he's an unbeliever. As a matter of fact, he had plenty of time before the Master returns. So that's the way that he thought. He lived for himself. He lived... A fatal mistake. And matter of fact, it says here um, that he will be cut in pieces. That's the drastic measure that is brought forth here. I think it's very frightening words. And then he's assigned a place with the unbelievers because that's what he is. Where's that at? That's hell. Jesus has just been speaking about being ready all that time. That he says this servant is going to be rewarded. Now he goes into a gear shifting. What about the ones who are not faithful? This guy's an unbeliever. And it's severe as he is thrown into really hell, the lake of fire. Frightening words. It's a severe judgment. The most severe. That's why often Jesus was the most severe in His words to the religious, the religious elite. The ones who knew it, or thought they knew it, and then He puts on the mortal blow. Not given just a, a, a mere beating. Not just a, a, you know, a beating that's pretty rough but it is something where 
you have a separation. It's a mortal blow. It's a separation from God. Total rejection. And that's where Christ, the judge, has total rejection of this one. This would not be a favorable message to speak anywhere, would it? People would not want to hear this, but we believe in heaven and we believe in hell. Jesus spoke about it more than heaven when He spoke of hell because it's a severe warning. And so people need to take heed. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 24.51 says, Be placed among the hypocrites where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That has to be pretty bad. It's the worst. And that's what happens with this man. Now you notice that he's one who beat his slaves. He didn't do anything the Master had said. He takes advantage of them. Becomes his own master there. Men, women. He eats. He drinks. Remember the man who tore down barns in this earlier part of this chapter? Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Here in the same chapter, Jesus says, eat, drink, get drunk. It's all related with that. That's a carefree life. Doing whatever you want. No meaning to it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll worry about it whenever uh, I think He'll come. You know, And matter of fact, there's nothing to worry about here. Right? Uh, God is gracious. Doesn't matter. So that's where that man is at. And it is definitely speaking of uh, hell. Now, there are two other ones left. That's two categories. These other two will get by very rapidly. I am smelling food. And my stomach is really telling me that I am hungry. But my my hour is about up. Thy hour is coming. Second, uh, well actually the third one here. um, um, Verse 47. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act remember the action, in accord with His will, will receive many lashes. Now, which would you like? The first one gets cut up in pieces. However drastic that is. The other one gets a lot of lashes. Well, you have to make a choice what you're going to go for. The lashes. It's not as bad as being cut up in pieces, but pretty bad. There's other degrees of unfaithfulness. This is a servant who exercises poor stewardship again. Doesn't act upon what the master wants. He doesn't beat the other servants. It doesn't say that. He just he knows the master's will. He just doesn't do it. Doesn't act upon what he should be doing. Now, he's not dismembered. He has some knowledge about the Master's will. Knows the truth, but he doesn't act on it. So, uh, you know, he's one that's, you know, he wants to live his life in the way that he wants to live it. He doesn't really care about the truth of God's Word. 
greater light means more punishment. Obviously, the first one gets more punishment than the second one, but it's still severe because it's many lashes. For one to hear the truth proclaimed in church every Sunday and goes out and ignores what that truth says and lives like the rest of the world, it's a risky way to live. Very risky because you're saying, well, you know what? I don't care what it says. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm just going to ignore it. I just want to live the way that I want to live. What if the Master would come that week? Still comes in the thought of the sovereign God, isn't it? But this is the responsibility of man along with the sovereignty of God. Do they clash? No. They are old friends, aren't they? And we're talking about disobedience here and one who really is not a believer either. Uh, You can have uh, Christians who are disobedient. We all know what that means. That means any time we sin, we've been disobedient. But we're talking about uh, this is an ongoing action. It's constantly being that way. He never really was a believer. Very risky in the way that he lived. And we see the end of that. He received many lashes. Verse 48, now we get to right at the end. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. Who's this guy? He doesn't know anything. He's kind of ignorant of God and His will, His whole plan. This is the third unfaithful one. The thing is, all are still culpable for their failure. Coming short of the glory of God. Punishment here in this sense is a few blows. So you have a few blows versus the one who gets a lot of lashes. And also versus the one who what? got dismembered. These are all degrees of punishment. They're all punishment. Matthew 25, verse 46, it talks about eternal punishment. Not where you get thrown into a place, you're there for a little bit, you burn up, and then that's it. That's the way that a lot would like to look at hell. You just disappear. And you're never to be again. But Jesus says in Matthew 25:46, eternal punishment. How long is that punishment? For eternity. They will get, be given a body that will take on punishment eternally. I don't know how that all turns out. I have to believe it. I think it's the most horrible thing that could ever happen. Eternal doesn't, doesn't work with my mind. That's the way it was with John Stott. So he couldn't believe in an eternal hell. John Stott is known as one of the greatest theologians of our time. Quite a writer. A lot of stuff is just incredible. But he finally came to the conclusion he couldn't reason that out. Well, all he has to do is take God's Word, which he did on everything else, or most things. But he had a little trouble with that, so he kind of redefined it. Well... Um, here's the thing. It's, it's talking about ignorance of God. Ignorant of God's law. 
And J.C. Ryle said that the ignorance of God's law is no excuse for not obeying it because we are responsible to know it. And it says in Romans 1 that He gives enough for them creation. He reveals through creation and conscience to know that there is a righteous God. So He gives that to all. But they suppress the truth and righteousness and unrighteousness, I guess, so they are without excuse. And then we see Jesus say here at the end, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of Him, they will ask all the more. Severity of final judgment, that's what we see here. Those who have been given the most light, the most responsibility will give to them if they were faithful. The unfaithful will be judged the most severely. There will be grades of punishment as well as grades of reward. That's why there will be the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, whenever He comes back. For every person, for every act that we've done, each person needs to answer this question then. Do I have a mentality about spiritual things, about things of Christ? Am I willing to live for Christ or am I living for today only? Your best life now, right? Well, those people who don't have faith in Christ have no regard for the Master's return. They don't care about His second coming. They don't even care about His first coming. They don't care about who He is. Are we foolishly putting it out of our mind, just ignoring what truth is by thinking, I've got time. It's okay. Jesus is not going to come back now. I'll go out and what? Sow my wild oats. Sow my oats. Right? Because I'll, I'll do all that and then I'll get myself ready again then after that time. No eye on the future at all. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. We will be blessed if the Master finds us ready when He comes. If you're truly a Christian, He's making you ready. Be conscious of it and desire to be willing and ready always in all of our life, all of our actions. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It's rather humbling one wasn't a believer, it should be very disturbing, very sobering, because if those words be true, and eternity lies forever, Lord, thank You for coming to all those who are the faithful, the believers. Thank You that You instill in us who You are, and when and placed our thinking on the fact that you're coming back when we don't know but we do know that we are to be ready to alert to be alert to be watchful to be 
on guard always, living our lives that will be honoring and glorious to You. Thank You for this precious time that You've given us this morning as we continue in just worshiping You and glorifying You as we eat, fellowship, minister, whatever it may be throughout the rest of this day and this week. All honor to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.